Um, we have some special speakers today. Um, mothers, where I call it the Linda sandwich because it's going to be Linda McDougall first, and then um, Debs is going second, and then Linda Morkel is finishing off. So it's a nice Linda sandwich. Um, but <laughs> um, are you connected already? Okay. Um, you can come up. Just before we start, um, I just want to say something, I guess, personally and on behalf of all, you know, the young adults and children and stuff for the mothers that we have. Um, I've been very privileged to be blessed with an amazing mother and, um, I don't want to cry, um, example of a godly woman and um, strength and courage and just everything. But I think it's really cool because in our community we have, We've been blessed um, as young women to have such amazing women surrounding us and leading us and giving us examples of what it means to have strength and courage and to be selfless and have that reckless type of love. And so we want to honor, you know, just not, not just our biological mothers, but our spiritual mothers, you know, um, great grandmothers and just all the women in the community who pour into us and um, teach us and guide us about one day what it's going to be like to be a mother and um, have that sacrificial love. So just want to honor you. Um, and without further ado, I'll let Linda take over. Thanks, Kayla. I'm all wired up, but I'm, am I on? Can you hear? Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right, before I begin, um, I just want to say that I'm grateful for being asked to speak, and it's an honor and a privilege for me to tell you about my mom. My mother's name is Irene Dampf, and she was born in 1933 in Welland, Ontario. Her parents immigrated to Canada from Austria and Hungary during World War II. My mother was the youngest of six children. One of her fondest childhood memories was going to Kensington Market in Toronto, where her father would treat her to a cheese danish and a hot chocolate. His death in 1945 was hard for her, as she was only 12, and they were very close. My mother met my father, the love of her life, when she was 18. He proposed on their first date. <laughs> this was acceptable because both families knew each other. My, my mother, however, had to finish her schooling before getting married. She trained as a secretary and got a job with a large insurance company in downtown Toronto. At the age of 19, my parents were married on July 5, 1952 in Welland. The reception of 200 people was held in a small church hall with no windows before air conditioning was common. It was the hottest day of the year, but my mother was determined to wear her dream wedding dress, which was made from a very heavy satin fabric. During the wedding reception, my mother got so hot and needed to cool down, so my father drove her to Niagara Falls, where it was a few degrees cooler. That did the trick, but they missed almost the whole wedding reception. <laughs> <laughs> Although my mother was a top student, she didn't pursue a career so that she could be a stay-at-home mom. Throughout her life, she sacrificially gave so that her family had what they needed. She made many of my nicest dresses as a child and would sew matching ones for my two sisters. Around the dinner table, she was always the last to sit down, making sure that everyone else's needs were met. 
My mother was always there for her children, helping with homework, typing essays. That was the days before computers, and my mother had to sit at a little typewriter and do all the essays. And um, she'd offer encouragement feed and fed us with her wonderful home cooking, all done with much love. There are two aspects of my mother's life that have had a big impact on me. The first is her love and commitment to my older sister, Kathy, who is mentally disabled. From the time Kathy was born, my mother knew that something was wrong. Kathy's development was well behind the norm. After many tests, the family doctor called my mother with a diagnosis. In his words, Kathy was hopelessly retarded and should be placed in a large public institution and to basically forget about her. At that time in the late 1950s, there were no other options or support for families who had a developmentally delayed child. My mother was devastated but determined to raise Kathy at home along with myself and two siblings. Living with Kathy was not easy as she was verbally aggressive and would often lash out. My mother, however, had the grace to see situations from Kathy's side and to love her in spite of her behavior. With the support of my mother and father, Kathy completed eight years in a specialized elementary school. My mother helped establish the Welland Association for Community Living, which helps families and individuals who have a developmental delay live successful lives in their communities. My mother and father also founded an employment program where employers offer jobs to people who are intellectually delayed at the level of their functioning. The second aspect of my mother's life that has made an impact on me is her faith in God. This faith sustained her for her entire life. My mother was raised in the Catholic Church. Her faith came alive when she and my father went to a conference during the Jesus Movement in the 1970s. She had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, which woke her up to the fact that Jesus is alive and loves her very much. Around the same time my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer, she and my father attended a Catholic healing service in Buffalo where my mother was healed. She was scheduled for surgery and had to plead with the doctor for another test. Sure enough, her lump was gone. On February 17, 1976, my mother was alone praying at home when Jesus appeared to her. She sensed his supernatural love, peace, and joy. On that day, she was inspired to write the only poem she ever wrote called My Friend, and it goes like this. I made a pact with my best friend, and he made one with me. Hand in hand, we walk together, my best friend and me. When I fall down, he picks me up and sets me on my feet. He dries my tears and calms my fears, and with a smile so sweet, enfolds me in his loving arms to comfort me once more. Then we continue hand in hand, just as we did before. My Lord and I will always be the best of friends, you see, for I made a pact with my best friend, and he made one with me. My mother's faith laid a foundation in me as a Christian. I watched God sustain her through many hardships in her life. She never lost hope because she knew that God was always with her. I'm grateful for my mother's love, her many acts of kindness, her commitment to my father and sister Kathy, and her faith in God. Thank you.
Hi, everyone. So good to see you all. I've uh, spoken on Mother's Day a few times, so I was thinking and praying about what to talk about, and um, um, I want to talk about uh, one thing about my mom that I have learned and a legacy that she's left behind that I think has impacted my life to a great deal. And this legacy is having people in our home. My mom welcomed everyone. We had people staying in our house that had nowhere to stay, and we always had extra people around the dinner table. I remember we had a guy named George staying at our house who uh, studied at U of T, studied um, music and concert piano, and he played beautiful concert piano music in our house for many years as he stayed there studying. We had a guy named Tony staying. It was when I was really young. I don't remember him very well. But I do remember that he left about 12 huge trunks of belongings that were locked. The trunks were locked. My parents stored it in our house for at least 10 years. And it wasn't until we were moving out of that house that we had to, like, we didn't even know where Tony was, so we had to break the trunks open, and there was nothing but old clothes in them. I couldn't believe that we had stored this stuff for so long. <laughs> and we had <clears throat> missionaries that were traveling through, stay in our home, and we also had a home church in our house for almost, well, about 10 years or more. So three times a week we had people coming to our house to worship and pray. It wasn't a church that I attended because it was all in Ukrainian. And my parents felt it was important for us as kids to be in a church that had youth and young people, and it was all adults in this church. But it was a home that, our home was always open for people like that. And, um, and as a result of all of this, my brother and I had to stay and share a room until I was about 12, and he was 16, because our other bedroom was always saved for guests. So it was something that my family accommodated. We were not rich people by any means, but um, I never had to ask my mom. I would tell her if people were coming over, but it was never like I, knew, I thought she would answer no. So I would call her and say, hey, mom, there's 30 youth that want to come over tonight and hang out. Is that okay? And my mom would make waffles, and uh, the youth here know because I've done it for them, the same waffle recipe that my mom made. <laughs> with ice cream and strawberries, and um, she was just always welcoming. And we'd sit at the table, and she'd say, eat, eat, eat. <laughs> My mom was, um, she had traveled, she had been a foreigner in a land many times. Uh, she grew, uh, was born in Ukraine, and the war broke out when she was about 15, 14. Her mother died, and... There were 12 siblings, and all the work of the family on a farm in Ukraine, you can imagine that's a lot more than what it would be now, was put on her shoulders because she was the oldest girl at home, oldest daughter. So um, very early in the war, she fled to Germany, of all places, during World War II, but she went as a refugee to Germany. And then at the end of the war, she immigrated to Canada with her sister and uh, lived in Halifax for a doctor. Like, he was the one that sponsored her to come to Canada. So she worked for him for several years. And then through the Slavic church, she finally made her way to Toronto. There was a large Slavic church in Toronto, and that's where her and my dad met. 
So I think because of that, and because of her being a foreigner in a land so many times, she was, that was why she had hospitality in her heart. So because this is the culture of my home, it's a natural tendency for me to carry it on because it's something that was modeled in front of me. But um, the idea of hospitality is not natural. Our natural tendency is not to bother with others and to keep our home as a sanctuary for ourselves. The definition of hospitality is the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, and strangers. Some of the synonyms are friendliness, welcome, warm reception, helpfulness, neighborliness, warmth, warm-heartedness, kindness, kind-heartedness, congeniality, sociability, cordiality, amicability, generosity, liberality, bountifulness, and open-handedness. Hospitality is about welcoming other people into your homes or other places where you work or spend your time. It doesn't just have to be your home, and I'll allude to that later. Hospitality is all about the art of entertaining and receiving guests. The Bible says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. That's Romans 12, 9 to 13. And then First Peter 4, 8 to 9, it talks about practicing hospitality ungrudgingly. Let your hospitality be an extension or overflow of God's hospitality to you. So what does, what is God's hospitality? Hospitality is rooted in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 19, 33 to 34, it says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who sojourns with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That phrase, that, it ends, that scripture ends in, I am the Lord your God, and that phrase was a powerful phrase for the Israelites, and they understood it well, and it was associated with them coming up out of Egypt and being rescued from the slavery that, and the bondage that they were living under. So anytime they heard that phrase, they knew it was from the heart of God. So that scripture about taking in a sojourn or taking in a foreigner or having people that live in your land feel as welcome as you do is from the heart of God. It was God's grace that brought the Israelites out of Egypt. They were not deserving. They weren't any special people that were perfect and did everything right and Therefore, God had his mark on them because he knew that they would make it through all the generations. No, they were ordinary people like you and I. They made mistakes. Obviously, we see all of that as they come out of Egypt and as they travel around before they get to the promised land. Grace is the hospitality of God to welcome sinners, not because of their goodness, but because of his glory. That's the reason. And it's repeated in the New Testament. Christ came to reconcile both Jews and Gentiles to God, and therefore to each other. In Ephesians 2, 15 to 16, it says, His purpose was to create one new man out of the two, 
the two means Israel and the Gentiles, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And then the result is in verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but your fellow citizens with God's people and your members of God's household. So the ultimate act of hospitality was when Jesus gave his life on the cross. And he did that to bring the sinners home to God. We're no longer strangers and sojourners. We belong to the household of God. And he does this for his glory. Ephesians 1, 5-6. So it's true in the Old Testament, and the reason he rescued the slaves out of Egypt, and the same is true in the New Testament. And it's all to the praise of his glorious grace. So how do we practice hospitality? Well, we do it by inviting people into your home. And I'd like to challenge you, because I know all of of you in this room are happy to have people in your home, and I know I've been in most of your homes before for a meal or a coffee or a cheese board or or something else. And it's not about the home, right? It's not about the actual home. It's about our heart. And we don't have to worry about having a gourmet meal to serve people. I think the most important thing is if you're having them over for a meal, do a simple meal and do something that you've done before and just keep doing the same meals every time you have people over if it works. So it's simple. It's not your, your focus is not so much on what you're eating. It's on being together. Um, Yeah, so what I was going to say about that is that be strategic about your hospitality. So don't just have the same people over all the time. They're comfortable and you have fun together. But think about who, who would you be able to have over that would be able to, you'd be able to impact them. Maybe it's somebody who is very lonely in the church and who needs people around them. Maybe it's someone who is struggling in their parenting and would benefit from just having a conversation around the table to talk through some possible strategies for dealing with something. Or maybe it's someone who wants to to start on something new in their lives. They feel like there's a gifting that God has put in them, but they're not quite sure how to have it come out or what to do with it, and they're just working that through. Having that conversation around the table is a place where it might give them the impetus to go forward in what they feel like God is saying. So the second place that we have to observe hospitality, I believe, in our setting is here at Red Hill. And um, this place is such a gift to us, you know. For those of us that have struggled through, uh, how many years did we have church in a box? I don't know, over 10. But to finally have a place where every single Sunday, we were complaining so much about, whatever, a month ago when we had to pack all this up because there was a wedding in here. And we used to do that every single Sunday and every other time that we met. And now we have this absolutely beautiful building. And it's a gift to us. And this is our home. This is, all of you, this is our home. And this is the place where we should receive guests and where we should make them feel like it's their home too, where we would just embrace them and bring them in. And... um, we, do, we have been doing that, offering hospitality. 
but I'd like to encourage all of you to help us in that. When you see strangers come in, look for them and greet them. When you, at the end of the service, then we have coffee being served. Rather than running to the people that you know, look for someone who is looking a bit down or is in distress of some kind and speak with them instead. Offer to get them a coffee. Um, spend some time with them. The other thing that we have done is our bring and shares on Sundays. That's a time where we can share a meal around a table with people. Be intentional with that. Um, find the table of people who are on their own or find a table of people who, who don't seem to fit in or they don't know how they're going to fit in. Make them feel at home. Make them, go out of your way in this place. If you're, especially if you're a single person or you don't have a home where you can invite people, this is the place that you can do it, okay? This home is your home as well. The gift of hospitality expects no repayment. No return favor is needed. So if you invite people over, don't think, oh, I wonder when they're going to invite me now to their house. No, it's just the joy of giving. It's the joy that we have in giving away what Christ has given us, you know, the life that we have in Christ. And that's what I'd like to say. Don't worry, it's, oh. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, that's just my backup notes in case I panic. But this is actually it's just a short note, so it's not going to be long. Don't worry. Um, so I just basically want to tell a very short story, and then I want to um, talk about a song, because I love music, I love words. And thank you for the worship beautiful. And then I want to end it off with a, a scripture, which is a solution. So it's absolutely wonderful. Um, so the, the story goes, <laughs> it was told by, to me by Jess, actually. And uh, she was in the, the Milton Metro. And just picture the scene. There were three mothers, three women. It was the end of the day. Everybody had been working. You know the drill if you're a mom. I'm not saying the dads don't, but we're just talking about moms. Um, the pressure and trying to get things and trying to think of dinner. And these three moms had grabbed some quick groceries and they were in the lineup now. You know, they never fast, those lineups. And the first woman was buying her stuff and with her groceries she had a bottle of wine. And she packed her groceries, she paid for her groceries and she promptly charged off and left behind the bottle of wine. With that, the two women in the lineup left, one with kid in tow, looked at each other, and the one said, no, that's serious. That's really serious. <laughs> so, who can relate? <laughs> um, it just kind of shows the, 
just a humorous way, the, the pressure and the reality of, of being a mom and uh, the pressures of sometimes making things happen and that. This, the second part is a song. And I often find, whether it's because I'm a mother or just a woman, or, but really it's because I'm a child of God, they, like these mothers, there's sometimes pressures that actually are not funny. And they're really hard and they really can um, really press down on you. And I, I have, um, I had my phone on and I was just, you know, I've got all these songs that are hugely encouraging and I encourage you to make an encouraging song list. So there's some beautiful worship songs. And um, the song is called New Wine. And it's actually, it starts off, and I thought, I know the song's for me. It said, uh, in the crushing, in the pressing. And I thought, no, that's got my attention already because that's what I'm feeling sometimes. It's, it's just pressing and pressure and whatever, and you're all by yourself, you know, and you have a little cry as you're listening, and it says, he is making new wine. And immediately that song starts to give me hope because it's a song that actually speaks of that there's far more to life than just what's happening at the grocery store. There's far more to life than what's going on in my head. There is the most beautiful winemaker, the king, that actually has invited us to come and live life through him, through his son Jesus. And he actually, he's not the one who cracks, initially I thought, is he the one that squeezes the grapes? But it's not true. He is the one that in the pressures, in the crushing, in the wine making, he is the one that makes something incredibly beautiful of our life. And it kind of helped me because it, um, my dry mouth, um, it kind of showed that there's far more to just the pressure that we experience. There's far more to the, um, don't worry about the water, it's fine, I'm just, I'm just calming myself down by talking to myself. <laughs> um, there's far more that God is, is thank you, is doing, is doing in our lives, and I think that song reminds me of that. Sorry this is so simple, but anyway. And then finally, um, a scripture that, Oh, sorry, I did want to say one more thing about wine. I don't know much about wine. Um, Philip and I both had parents who overindulged, so I actually have grew up quite nervous of wine. But there's, Jesus is not against wine, as we know, and I'll touch on that later. And, but the one thing I do know about wine, we took some friends to Niagara, and I noticed that there's a lot of, there's a cellar, and there's a wine barrel. And being a mom, being a child of God, I don't want to exclude you, there's times that this wine that God is making sits in the barrel. Yeah. And you wait. <laughs> you know, you wait to be uncorked or, un- or popped. What do you do with wine? I don't know. You, you, wait to, you wait for your life to affect others, you know, because if you think of wine, it's, it's around that table that Deborah was talking about. It's, it's amongst those friends we want to have over people. And um, there's something that God is doing in us in this wine making, and sometimes it takes time. So don't be impatient. Wait for the seasons, and he's faithful. Uh-huh. And then the last, um, it's quite a weepy morning, eh? Gosh, Linda, you started that, actually. <laughs> I wanted to howl in your talk. 
um, there's a scripture that, that I found, and honestly, it's like one of those lifesaver scriptures. And um, it's in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. And the, the best way to read it is in the Passion. So I'm going to just read it to you from the Passion. Sorry, I'll take a second to get it off here. Well, a few seconds. Okay. So it's called, uh, in the Passion, it sort of names it the way of escape. Verse 13 of 1 Corinthians, it says, what's wrong? Oh, the 10. 10. Did I not say that? Sorry. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Oh, I see. <laughs> It says, we all experience times of testing, which is normal for every human being. Because sometimes I think we believe a lie that, oh, I'm the only one going through something difficult. And actually, mine's actually the longest that it's going on for. You know? And that's a lie. That's a lie. We all experience it. This is normal for human beings. But, but God will be faithful with you. He will screen and filter the severity, the nature, the timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. Those are incredible words, right? And we could be very creative and talk about this a lot of how he does that, you know. Sometimes it's in the midst of a crisis, someone arrives with some flowers or in the midst of whatever, you can't cope with the kids. Your mom comes and offers to take your kids, you know, that's how God does this thing. Um, he does this so that um, you, so that, sorry, I've lost the thing. Every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more. For, and this is the kicker of this verse. It says, for along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out of it victorious. And I got into maybe a bad habit, I don't even know how I did it, was I just started to see the trials, you know? And boy, if you start looking for trials, you, you can find them, you know? And uh, I just started to be very aware of the trials, and that can really weigh you down. And when I read this scripture, I wanted to draw a big poster, well, I've drawn it in my little notebook, of two circles, and the one circle actually says trial. Because we said, this is not an uncommon thing to man to have trials, right? But then I drew another circle, and in this other circle, and I'm never going to pull it to a part, is this thing that says a way of escape. He's already provided a way of escape. So I am not going to, and I encourage you not to face any trial without this reality as well. That there's a trial, but God himself, linked to that, has provided us with a way of escape. Is that Beautiful. Yeah. And then the last scripture is um, it's from Ephesians 5, 18, and it's in the message. Don't worry to read it because I'm going to read it out to you. Because I started with wine and I want to end with wine. And just being a responsible mom, don't drink too much wine. In other words, don't get drunk. That cheapens your life, the message says. Drink the Spirit of God huge drafts of him. Sing hymns, those are the song things, instead of drinking songs. 
Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Happy Mother's Day. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers.